This morning we begin working through the book of Revelation, and I hope you're as excited as I am. I'm really looking forward to the next six months going through this book of Revelation. Now, uh, G.K. Beale, who's got a commentary on the book, and he's preached through this series many times, he, he begins preaching on the book of Revelation, and he, he says this, Revelation is the least preached upon book in the modern church, and it is by far the most requested book by Christians within their church to be preached upon. So it's a, it's a strange dichotomy that exists that preachers aren't preaching on it, but Christians want to hear from it. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but why do you think it is that that exists? Preachers don't preach on it, but Christians want to hear from it. I think first and foremost, it has to do with the confusion that's associated with the book of Revelation. We think about Revelation and we think of it as a book that is shrouded in mystery. A, a terribly confusing book. And for that reason, preachers say, I, I don't want to go there, or I don't have the resources to go there. And the congregations are saying, we'd really like to know about this book of Revelation. We'd really like to have some clarity on Revelation. And so confusion has often defined the book of Revelation. Now, I, I think it's important to ask another question. Why have we found it to be such a confusing book? Why is Revelation so confusing for us? I think there's a variety of answers to that question, not the least of which would be the genre, the, the way in which this book is written. Also, it's 2,000 years since it's been written, so that always adds confusion. But I think one of the most uh, prominent issues in our day and age would be that there's a whole host, a, a, plentiful, uh, a plentiful providence of poor, bad, uninformed, and fanciful teaching on the book of Revelation. I mean, we, we have it up to our, our eyes full. We can find it anywhere you look. You can search on the, on the internet, and you will find a whole host of poor teaching on the book of Revelation. It is true. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, in his book, Orthodoxy, this is what he said, sort of tongue-in-cheek about the book of Revelation. He said, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision... He saw no creatures so wild as one of his own commentators. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. You hear what he's saying there, that, that, uh, that there's a whole collection of commentators and preachers on Revelation who are more wild and fanciful than anything that John described in his book. What happens in the church then, I think, is that we have a whole collection of bad teaching on Revelation, and then we are presented with one of two options. Either we default the kind of the, the modern concept of Revelation. We say, okay, this doesn't seem like a great explanation, but that's all we've got. Or we reserve ourselves to some sort of blissful ignorance. Like, guess we're not going to understand that book of Revelation. We just got to accept it and move on. That's sort of the, the, the idea that's captured in the very popular thing. You've probably heard this said before. What do I believe about uh, uh, Revelation and amillennial or premillennial? I am panmillennial. I believe it'll just pan out, okay? You've You've heard that before? Maybe you've heard that before. That's, that is a concept that simply says, I'm going to retreat from the book, and I'm going to be okay with just not knowing, all right? And that's been largely the, the demeanor of the church towards the book of Revelation for a long time. And I tell you, this is not simply a modern problem. This is the church throughout the ages. There's a lot of bad teaching throughout the ages concerning the book of Revelation. I'll just give you a, sort of a brief overview. From the Middle Ages forward, there was the Franciscan movement in the 12th century, and they believed that the, that the book of Revelation was about the Holy Roman Empire and that Frederick II was the Antichrist, and that was the prominent teaching of the day. You look at the Reformers and what was taught during the Reformation and how it um, impacted their view of the, the Catholic Church, right? The, 
the, the Pope as the Antichrist and the Catholic Church was what the book of Revelation was about. Or you look in modern day and, and you know that you can look anywhere you can find really bad teaching about this. You can find it in video series and books that are written and preaching from pulpits, okay? So it is true no matter where we look. One commentator put it a little bit more severe than I would, and he said, the, the fact that many who study the prophetic writings today are interested in finding possible references to space travel and to nuclear weapons, rather than discovering God's commandments for living, is a sickening tribute to shallow and immature faith. That's the, that's the problem that we face as we search for resources on the book of Revelation. And so this book opens this morning, and what we're going to do, we're going to spend the next two weeks just looking at the first three verses. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of strange. We have 22 weeks to look at 22 chapters of Revelation, and we're going to spend two weeks looking at three verses? But that's what we're going to do because the first three verses are the verses that will prepare us. They will give us the tools that are necessary to begin to understand the book of Revelation. So this week, three things from verses 1 through 3. Next week, four things from verses 1 through 3. That will be seven principles that help us to understand the book of Revelation. I found it to be immensely helpful. I hope that you'll find it to be helpful as well as we look through the book of Revelation. So beginning with the first point. This morning, again, it's on your handout if you want to follow along. The, the passage begins like this. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I want to begin by first talking about the first word of the first verse of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word, I, I transliterated it there in your handout if you're interested. The Greek word is apocalypsis, okay? It is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, and it means something more than simply the revelation of Jesus. Uh, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Now, when you hear it, you're probably thinking the English apocalyptic. And you might be thinking, well, I know what that means. It means the end of the world and zombies and aliens, okay? That's what we think when we think apocalyptic. But the Greek word apocalypsis means to reveal or to disclose something that was hidden, okay? To reveal or to disclose something that was hidden. And I think that's significant because not only is it a revelation, it is a revelation of something that was previously hidden, Okay? And that will be important for our understanding of the book of Revelation. If you want to kind of capture the meaning of this word, I think the best picture would be this. Uh, apocalypsis is very similar to a surprise birthday party. Okay, a surprise birthday party. Many of you have had surprise birthday parties. And here's what happens with a surprise birthday party. Till the moment that you walk through the door and the people say, surprise, you're not aware of what's going on. But that doesn't mean there aren't things going on. As a matter of fact, there's a lot going on. There's planning and there's invitations and there's, uh, there's the preparation and, and everything that leads up to that moment. But for us, the audience, when we open that door and we hear surprise, it is the first moment when everything kind of becomes clear. That's what the word apocalypsis means, okay? There are things that were happening and things that were planned in the providence of God and all of this that has been laid out. But this is the revealing of the things that were once hidden. Okay? This is the revealing of the things that were once hidden. And so as we read Revelation, we're seeing God, uh, things that are revealed from God that were once not revealed by God. And that is, it, apocalypsis becomes a whole genre of literature and scripture. There are many places that we will read in scripture and God in a supernatural way reveals himself. And without that supernatural revelation, people would have been like, well, what's going on? I have no idea. But God reveals it in a vision, in a dream, by directly speaking in a variety of ways he reveals it to them. One author in speaking about it said this, and this kind of captures one of the important themes of Revelation. He says, it means, apocalypsis means the unveiling of divine mysteries. 
Christ is both the mystery and the revealer of it. He comes to reveal himself and in himself the Father whose image he is. Thus, in its opening words, the book takes us beyond itself. What is revealed is not secrets about the future, but rather a person. Okay? One of the things that we're going to see as we look at the book of Revelation is more than anything else, we're going to be tempted to take the ideas and to run with them, but more than anything else, the book of Revelation is about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I will tell you what we read in this book, mostly that which was hidden and is now revealed is Jesus Christ. He who is hidden, who is concealed to the eyes of believers for thousands of years, who were looking and waiting for him but knew not much about him, he who was hidden has been revealed and that will happen in the book of Revelation. But I'll tell you something else the word apocalypsis means. I think this is significant and it has to be talked about. The word apocalypsis at the beginning of this passage means that this book is understandable. And it has to be understandable, okay? To be that which was hidden and now to be revealed by God to his people means that it has been given, given to us to understand it. And you might be thinking, well, of course it's understandable. We're reading it. But I would tell you that throughout the history of the church, the book hasn't been treated in this way. It has often been treated as a book which is not understandable, okay? And so what happens is we often think we need to leave this book to the professionals. And that would be the mathematicians who crunch the numbers and they figure out exactly when the world's going to end. Or, or that would be the ones who have the, some sixth sense and they're able to discern what God is saying. But, you know, they're the ones with the sacred, secret knowledge and okay, we can't read the book. We just need them, or we need their books, or we need their system of learning. That's how this book is often dealt with in the church, and it's, it's sad. The, the book is understandable. It has been revealed by God for a variety of reasons. First of all, all scriptures God breathed, and it's profitable or useful for teaching and for reproof and rebuke and all that the man of God needs for training in righteousness, okay? This is part of scripture. It is useful. It's profitable. But not only that, there's a blessing. You, you heard it read in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. I don't know about you, but it's a prerequisite to keeping what is written in it. It's a prerequisite to understand it. You, you have to understand it to be able to keep what is written in it. Okay? So this book, as we go about looking at the book of Revelation, you have to dispel the notion that we can't understand Revelation. We can. It has been given to us. It is not the surprise birthday party that's waiting to be revealed. It has already been revealed. We've walked through the door, and the group has said surprise, and now we have seen all the details, okay? That's what's happening in Revelation. And so it is knowable. It is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Second thing I'd like to draw your attention to also happens in verse 1. In verse 1, it continues on. Uh, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, as I read this morning, you're probably hearing things, you're like, oh, I really hope he talks about that, okay? I really hope he talks about what it means that these things must soon take place. These things, some of them will be talked about next week, okay? So we will talk about those phrases next week. But this morning, I want to focus on the second sentence of the first verse that says this, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The second word I, I want to focus on is the English word, is the Greek word that's translated in English, he made it known, okay? He made it known. You see, I've, I've transliterated it again in the handout, on the handout. It is the Greek word semano. It's written there in the past tense, so it says esemanen. It is the Greek word that means to signify or to symbolize, okay? 
to signify or to symbolize. Now listen, this word gets a lot of use in Scripture. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. It's the word that's used to describe the parables of Jesus. It's the word that Daniel uses. When he receives a revelation from God, well, Daniel doesn't use it, but the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uses it to describe Daniel's vision. Okay, it is the signs and symbols that Daniel received. It's the word that means the signifying that there's an allegorical picture that's being painted. If you really want to understand the word, you can find it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, they answered Jesus saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you, a semano from you. What were they looking for? The Pharisees and the scribes. They were hearing Jesus' words. He was claiming to be God, that he would die and raise again. And they were saying, hey, words are good, but give us sign. Give us a sign. Give us evidence. Would you heal someone in front of us? Would you raise someone from the dead? Would you cause the sky to turn black? Give us a sign or a signifier that you are indeed who you say you are. And Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, a semano, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. I think to read this first verse accurately, according to the original Greek, it would read something like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He signified it. Or he symbolized it by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, why is that important? I think it's important for a, a whole host of reasons. First of all, it clearly indicates to us the genre of literature that we're about to read. Okay, by reading that, it is clear from John's introduction that we're about to read a story of symbols. From the beginning to the end, a story of symbols. Okay? that there are pictures that are being painted, that they are allegory, which is to say they are vivid images that point us to a deeper truth. Okay? There is vivid imagery going on this, in this book. So what does that mean for us? One of the things it means is that we have to reject literal interpretations of the book of Revelation. Okay? That as we read this, we're not looking for these things to actually take place the way that they're written. Rather, they are signs and symbols. What do I mean by that? You might be like, oh, that feels weird to me. We don't literally believe this. What I mean by that is when we read in Revelation 6 about four horsemen, we're, we're not looking for, well, when this book takes place, we're going to see four horsemen riding down the street, and there's going to be a white horse and a, and a pale horse. That's not what is happening in this book, okay? These things are being symbolized. They're being signified to us. And so pictures are being painted. That happens in a lot of Scripture. It also happens in poetry. We, we do this even today. But there's things that are being represented by the pictures and the images. What's the second thing that means? The second thing that means is that, uh, that there's going to be lots of vivid descriptions that we have to realize are representative. So, for instance, the numbers that we read about. Revelation is chocked full of numbers. You can read about 1,000 and 144,000 and three and a half and certain number of years and certain number of this or that. And there's lots of sevens. Sevens are going to be repeated again and again. And we're not going to read those numbers and say, okay, well, I guess Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years, or I guess there's going to be seven trumpets. Where are the seven trumpets? Those numbers all mean something. They depict something. They paint a picture for us. And we, we need to ask the question, what's the image that's being painted? The third thing it means, though, and very importantly to understand the book of Revelation, the third thing it means is that 
we are not the ones who interpret these images, okay? We don't open the book of Revelation and say, oh, that's a good picture. I think it means this. We, we, we'll get ourselves in trouble if we do that. But what happens in the book of Revelation is people, they open it and they say, well, that looks like communist China. That must be what that means. The lion connects with China because China has a lion on the flag. And I don't think China does, but you know how it goes. This is, the, this is the, the method by which interpretation often happens with Revelation. But it also means that John the apostle is not the one who's interpreting these images either, okay? John is not sitting there saying, oh, could, let me give the church a really good image of Jesus. I think I will choose a lamb. That's not, that's not what John is doing. Did you hear the introduction? This is the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ from God the Father given to John the servant, okay? This is Jesus' revelation from God the Father given to John the servant. What does that mean? It means that God is the one who interprets this, and I tell you the truth, we are going to find an understanding in the book of Revelation through the scriptures, okay? That God uses his word to explain the signs and symbols that are given in Revelation. I, I mentioned earlier there's a lot of confusion that surrounds the book of Revelation for a variety of reasons, okay? But here's another reason, and this is an important one. We don't understand the book of Revelation because we don't understand the Bible. That's, that is just a a straightforward fact, okay? We struggle with revelation because we struggle to understand the scriptures or even to know the scriptures, right? And I, and I think that's significant. You see, this book is a letter that was written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, the church at Ephesus and Philadelphia and Smyrna, okay? And I tell you the truth, those believers knew scripture much better than we do. If we were to take a group of Christians from Mercy Presbyterian Church and we were to time travel back 2,000 years and we would say, we're going to go to the church in Ephesus and we're going to say, hey, we're the Christians from 2,000 years from now. And it's like, really cool. We have, this, we have a lot in common. And if we were to sit down and do a Bible study together, they would realize very quickly that our knowledge was wanting. Because for those believers who many of them had a Jewish background, they had committed the entire Old Testament to memory. The letters that were circulating at the time, whether from Paul or Peter, they had committed those to memory as well. So that when they heard the revelation of Jesus Christ read aloud in their church, you know what they were saying? They were saying, oh yeah, I, I get what that means. I've heard that picture before. That, that's reminiscent of what happened in that book or what God said here or there. And the bells and whistles are going off for the people who are hearing this letter read aloud in the first century. We struggle to understand revelation because we struggle to understand scripture. This book of Revelation has more Old Testament references than any book of the New Testament by far. There are 300, at least 348 different references in Revelation to the Old Testament, and that's more than double than any other New Testament book of the Bible, okay? We tend to think of the book of Hebrews like this is really based on the Old Testament, and it is, but Hebrews has less than half of the references of Revelation to the Old Testament scriptures. And so we need to interpret this book through the scriptures. That's how we find out what the signs and symbols of Revelation mean. B.B. Warfield said this pretty well in his commentary. He said, John's apocalypse need not be other than easy. All its symbols are either obvious natural ones or else they have their roots planted in the Old Testament poets and the prophets and the figurative language of Jesus and his apostles no one who knows his Bible need despair of reading this book with profit. Above all, 
we, uh, he who can understand our Lord's great discourse concerning the last things in Matthew 24 cannot fail to understand the apocalypse, which is founded on that discourse and scarcely ever advances beyond it. You, you hear what he's saying there? This, this book is understood through the Scriptures. The better we know the Scriptures, the better we understand the book of Revelation. But that's our interpretive tool. I want to ask you a, another question that transitions us to the last point. Uh, the question is very simply this. Why does God use symbols at all? Why would God use symbols at all, let alone give us a whole book of signs and symbols? Why not just sit us down and say, here's what I want you to know? And I know the engineers in the room would really love that, okay? Just a straightforward explanation of what God wants us to know from the book of Revelation. Why does he use symbols? There's a variety of reasons that symbols and, and signs are used in Scripture, and all of them are very important. First of all, signs and symbols are more full and vivid. Okay, so what we might say in one sentence of technical detail, uh, it, one sentence of signs and symbols can say 10 different sentences. They can bring to life uh, things that we might not even be able to describe in words. Okay, so imagery is important for that reason. Signs and symbols are also important to cultivate the faith of God's people, right? Because we read Revelation and we say, I kind of get what's happening, but I don't get all the details. And when God doesn't give us all the details, we have to at least trust by faith that he will bring these things to fruition. That actually at the end, that he will be victorious. So signs and symbols are good for that. Signs and symbols are also part of God's analogical revealing of himself. That is to say, we know that God is above and beyond us, that our minds cannot comprehend us. So he uses images and pictures to show us something of himself so that we can understand him. I think most importantly for the book of Revelation, though, God uses signs and symbols to connect us again to this last point. We see it in verse 3. So verse 2 continues on. It says that he reveals it to his servant John who, he, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And we'll talk about that next week. But here's what verse 3 says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And the third word I want to focus on this morning is the word prophecy. What does it mean that God says this is prophecy? Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. But the, the Greek word is very similar to the English word, and, and so is the meaning. Prophecy is a biblical category that literally means God speaks through a human author. So the prophets were the voice of God. That's the literal technical meaning of prophecy. It is the voice of God through his people, okay? And the prophets declared the word of God both to the church and to the world in two different ways. But the prophets played a very specific function. So you think, what is the purpose of the prophets? Why did God send prophets? What were they sent to do? What was the message they proclaimed? And the prophets always had a dual function. They did two things. And we often only think of the prophets as doing one thing, okay? We often think of, of the positive message that the prophets came to proclaim. You think about this past Christmas season. We were reading from the book of Isaiah relentlessly, right? And every time we read from Isaiah, we read these beautiful promises about the coming Messiah, that he'd be born of a virgin, that the government would be upon his shoulders, okay? 
that he would come and bring everlasting peace. And we tend to think, well, that's the prophets. They're just bringing a message of beautiful hope. Isn't that great? Okay. But that's part of what the prophets did. Again, the the prophets fulfilled a, a dual function. The prophets came to proclaim two very different messages. Uh, uh, one message to the people of God. It was a message of exhortation to faithful living. It was a message of hope of how God would have final victory. And it's a beautiful message. But you know what? If you take the prophets and you look at all that is written in the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the minor prophets and Daniel, and you were to quantify their words by how much of the time are they speaking one message and how much of the time are they speaking another message, about 80% of all the words of the prophets are condemnation and judgment. And that was their dual purpose. They, they came to bring a message of judgment and they came to bring hope for the, for the believers of God, for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the prophets were not very popular people. You might have been thinking, well, Isaiah's got this beautiful message. Why do people hate Isaiah? Because their message was one of judgment and condemnation. Isaiah couldn't find a place to stay. Jeremiah was hated by the people. The minor prophets were rejected, scorned, hated. They were persecuted. Some of them were killed because they brought a message of condemnation and judgment. See, I I think this is the, the main reason why God uses signs and symbols in prophecy. And why he uses semano, why he signifies in the book of Revelation. He does that because it is his way of proclaiming One truth with two messages, okay? One speaking, one writing with two different messages to two separate audiences. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us this very thing in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 13, listen to this conversation. This is huge for understanding the book of Revelation. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and they said to him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Why do you speak to the people in parables? You see what they're asking Jesus? Why do you speak with these vivid images, with these signs and symbols, these representative pictures? Why are you speaking to the people like this? Why not just be plain and straightforward? You might as well just say, why do do you speak to them like you speak to them in the book of Revelation? Why do you speak to them as you do through the prophets? Why do you speak to them through signs and symbols? And listen to what Jesus says. It says, He answered them to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Why does God speak in signs and symbols? It's because He speaks once with two messages. He speaks once with a message of judgment and condemnation. He speaks uh, in the same breath with a message of hope and of perseverance and providence and joy. That's what's happening in the book of Revelation. That's why when we read the prophets, we often hear that language. He who has an eye, let him see. He who has an ear, let him hear. It's all over Christ's parables. It is in the words of the prophets. As a matter of fact, if you have read the book of Revelation, you know that it's again and again and again in the book of Revelation. There are seven churches that are addressed between chapters 2 and 4. And to every one of those churches, Jesus ends with these words, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
You see that? That's the prophetical language. That is, you listen, okay? If you have ears to hear, you listen because this message is for you. What that means is that the world will read the book of Revelation and to them they say, well, this is great literature. It kind of feels like Star Wars, Star Trek or something. I mean, it's really exciting. But for the church, God gives signs and symbols and he reveals to us truth which we wouldn't otherwise know, that is good for us, that, that moves us to, to glorify the Lord in the way we live, that moves us to, to a hopeful existence that says, this will all be resolved one day. So the message of Revelation is a message of signs and symbols because God is speaking to two different audiences. What we'll see in this book for the next six months is two distinct messages with two pathways to two audiences. For those who follow the beast, the dragon, the antichrist, the message is very simple, judgment, condemnation. And so we will see that a fiery pit awaits, a lake of sulfur, and eternal destruction. Whether that be for the original audience who received that as they think about apostate Israel who had rejected them, and persecuted them, or the Roman Empire who was trying to kill them. Or whether that be for generations of people that we see throughout all of history, or whether that be for our very day and age, for a world that has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and has chosen to love and worship themselves and the things of this world, to those who have received the sign of the mark of the beast, they go where the beast goes. and They get what the beast gets. And his end has already been established, and it's not a good end. But as we read the book of Revelation, for those whose garments have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have faithfully followed the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been saved by grace, who have the Spirit at work among them, who are in the perfect number of God's appointed, who cry out to him day and night, how long, O Lord, how long will you allow us to suffer? How long will you leave us here? To them who sing the praises of God with the angels in heaven, who say with the heavenly creatures, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And worthy is the Lamb who is slain. To those who persevere in Christ, who trust in Him by faith, this book is filled with the most beautiful promises. For us, the Lamb has overcome the beast. For us, He has died. For us... He has perfectly numbered not only our own days, but the days of this earth. For us, He has brought us into the throne room of the living God, who is holy, 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 into the foot of His throne, that we might be near to the living God. For us, He has conquered. For us, He will one day return in victory and destroy our great enemy. For us, He is preparing a new creation. A new heavens and a new earth. It'll be described in this book as oh so beautiful and amazing. It is for us. The theme of this book is very simple. Worship the Lamb. Celebrate the saints. Hate the beast. And trust in the Lord for He is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you, Lord God, that though you are high above, 
that though our minds cannot comprehend, yet you have not left us alone. And you have not left us without a witness, a testimony. And so we ask, Lord God, as we read this apocalypsis of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have symbolized through a samano, through signs and symbols, signified to us. As you have prophesied through the mouth of John, both judgment and joy, both condemnation and hope, we ask, Lord God, that we would see you clearly, that we would be moved to worship you, that our eyes would be opened, that our ears would hear all that the Spirit says to the churches, that as we hear and as we see, we would glorify your holy name. Would you, O Lord God, give us those eyes and those ears? Would you remove sin from our hearts that blocks our vision? And would you help us that we would clearly see you and that we also would have hope? We love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain. We pray, Lord, that we would glorify you through him who is our great hope. In his name we ask all of this. Amen.